Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I've got an opportunity to sit down and talk about a topic that we all sort of dance around, and that's the role of IT and cybersecurity in advertising and marketing. And to do that, I've got a chance to sit and have a chat with Raja Pradeep, who's the CEO at AUPIT. And so welcome, Raj. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Look, IT is one of those things that, you know, everyone uh, largely mm. takes it for granted yeah. until something goes wrong. True? That is so true. Uh, it's, uh, and and it's, it's, it's hard for us as well, to be honest, because we, we, we always tend to be called in, you know, after the building's been burned down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the old saying is, after the do- the, close the door after the horse is bolted. Exactly, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. The reason I wanted to have this uh, conversation is that we've read a lot in the last few years about the CIO and the CMO in big corporations, you know, needing to work together because marketers in big, these big organisations are investing a lot in MarTech and AdTech. So platforms and systems for them to do their marketing and, and advertising. When that translates down to an agency level, there's often sometimes a disconnect. And so I thought it'd be great to have a chat to you about how agencies can make sure that they're aligned to the expectations of their clients around their IT security. And, and I guess we, we'd call it cyber security, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really interesting point that you brought up that, uh, uh, the CMO and the and the and the CTO or the CIO have to work together more now, and and why that's happened, and I think if if we go back a, a decade or a couple of decades, um, uh, the marketing function was separate to the IT function, and and the CMO and the CTO often you know were in their own silos, uh, they wouldn't talk to each other because the CMO was you know typically outward focused in terms of promoting the brand through traditional channels. Uh, and and the CIO or the CTO was inward focused and in how can I, uh, you know, keep the house in order, uh, keep keep the plumbing uh, working, you know, for, for the IT systems and what have you. Uh, now we find just in the last few years uh, there's been a massive convergence and and their roles are all up in the air uh, mm. because the CTO is now being called on to advise the business or the CIO is being called on to advise the business on what should my strategy be. I'm taking out you know bringing out new products new services, what market should I address? Uh, how do I leverage the data that's already within my business to make impactful changes um, in the marketplace or to be number one? Right now we are number four, for instance, right? Um, the other question they often get asked is, uh, we have so many different processes within the business, but they're not really functioning optimally. No. Can you advise us on that? How do I know which process is optimal? Are we really following a process? Or is it a workaround? And we often see now that uh, a lot of internal um, staff go out and download their own apps. They they don't use the app that's been prescribed by the IT department that's being managed by them. Uh, and they go and do their own thing. And IT has no 
views on this. Look, and, and yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. Um, we had a, uh, a financial services company that, s- as simple as sending a PowerPoint presentation, they had such an old version of Microsoft Office that they couldn't open a PowerPoint presentation. And what I discovered was that it's because often traditionally the CTO, especially the CTO, was had a mandate to lock down the system to protect it. It was all about risk management and minimising the risk by shutting down as many of those entry points into the system as possible. You even get it in some organisations, you walk in with a thumb drive. Yeah. And you no, none of the systems have a USB because you are not allowed to put a thumb drive into the system because it could have all sorts of malware on it. Now, doesn't that attitude almost work against the idea of technology, which is to facilitate productivity, expand opportunities, make businesses more successful? 100%. Um, and, and spot on because... That's, uh, that's what the traditional CTO or CIO used to think. And even to this day, we find there are large organizations where uh, the focus on risk and compliance and, and the fear around cybersecurity has shut them down so much that they become almost inflexible to work with. Mm. Uh, so there is a, 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 an interesting tension between allowing a level of uh, flexibility so that you can go out and grab the opportunity and do something with it and also have a, a governance risk and compliance framework that's uh, basically common sense. So you don't stop people from being productive and, and being effective in their, in their jobs. Um, in, in some ways, you could argue that things have come full circle because uh, with the cloud, everyone assumed that uh, all the risks and all the threats would, would automatically disappear because you don't have to manage that infrastructure in-house now. And it's the cloud service provider that's that going has to, take to the, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, that's going to take the risk. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I have had that conversation yeah. where especially agencies have gone, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore because it's just all in the cloud. You know, we're with AWS or we're with you know, any of the other service providers. And, of course, you know, they just manage it for us. But that's not the fact. That That's not the truth. No, it? no. And uh, just in the last couple of years, as, as uh, cloud models have matured and there's more and more organizations that have shifted into the cloud we find some of the major banks have been hacked um, and there was a, a case study last year where uh, uh, WPP which is the world's largest advertising agency uh, was crippled with by the by the not petty you know attack and that mm-hmm. was a very sophisticated ransomware attack and they spent millions trying to fix the damage that happened after the fact. Now, I've heard about ransomware a lot. In fact, it it affects all sorts of companies, not just the big companies like WPP. But I remember hearing a news report that like a medical practice or a dental practice had had this. What what is ransomware? How does that work? How do I get into this (laughs) game? Oh, no, no, sorry, no. No, no. (laughs) Ransomware essentially is... um, uh, and, and just to give you a bit of context around ransomware, what typically happens is cyber criminals um, hack into an, a network and they lie dormant. So they're still there, they're sniffing around, trying to find information, but their presence is not made known. Right. Then they figure out what information is critical for the functioning of the business. Let's say, for example, if we take the example of a hospital, uh, uh, mid-sized dental practice or what have you, they, 
the patient data uh, mm, or databases of yeah. patient records is, is critical information because a single record can, could be used for identity theft. And if you've got someone's name, date of birth, where they live, mm. from many, there you can number, extrapolate yeah. and yeah, and, you, and the number, you can do many things with it. Um, if you take that to a slightly bigger level, uh, if it's a digital marketing agency who's dealing with, for example, the Commonwealth Bank's um, internal marketing, because they do both internal and external, and they've just surveyed um, you know, uh, tens of thousands of employees and all that data is there, and that data could be on a USB stick on someone's laptop, which has just been up uploaded to Google Drive. Mm. It's very easy for a cyber criminal to hack, hack, hack in there. But then they encrypt the data and they, uh, they demand a sum of money to release that. Right. So to get access to your own data, you have to pay, which is why it's called ransomware. Which is why it's called ransomware. And once you pay, they know that you someone would pay. So most, from our experience, what we've seen is most organizations that have been that have fallen prey to ransomware once, they become repeat victims. It happens again and again. So, Roger, ex uh, just clarify for me, whether that's sitting on my server hosted in my, in my business or up on the cloud, it could still happen? 100%. So it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter where the data sits. It could be in Azure, uh, AWS, or IBM's cloud. It could be in your own private cloud, which is a in, in a data center in mm. Sydney or Singapore or Melbourne, uh, it could be on a, on a physical server which is sitting in your office, mm. you can still fall victim wow. to ransomware. Okay. So um, now you mentioned, you know, say a digital agency working with, um, say, Combank, a financial service mm. company. We have noticed in the last five or six, five, no, probably longer, eight years, contracts between especially mm -hmm. financial services, insurance, banks, the whole lot, and their agencies have become thicker and thicker and thicker. And a lot of that is around uh, data security, uh, IT infrastructure, um, and uh, redundancies. You know, there's, there's more and more and more onus on agencies working with the, these companies because financial services particularly are very aware and also held very accountable to the security of their customer data. Because we're talking about yeah, dollars, that's right. that's filthy right. lucre. Luca. Yeah, anyway. So um, how do agencies keep up to date with what's you know, what they need to be doing to meet these expectations? Because I would think some agencies are signing these contracts and not actually knowing Absolutely. what they're and, doing. And, and that's been our experience as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and to your point, uh, uh, we will soon find that uh, before these agencies can even bid for uh, uh, the business of these large organizations, whether that's through an RFI or RFP process, one of those requirements that will soon be set in stone would be, are you GDPR compliant? Yes. Are you, uh, you know, what are the cybersecurity frameworks that you have in place to protect your client's data? How secure is your own network environment against uh, uh, cyber criminals and cyber threats which can be both internal and external. Mm. Do you have uh, a security and governance compliance statement that every employee, every staff member, every contractor even has to sign? And most often the answer to these questions is no. Right. Uh, so a, a good place to begin would be a, a, a cyber hygiene audit, uh, if you will, uh, where uh, you get an external 
provider to come in, a cybersecurity expert to come in. And if they have an understanding of advertising agencies and how they operate, that's even better. Mm. They can then look at uh, everything from the lens of cybersecurity, from a governance risk and compliance perspective, put in place common sense measures, which would include having a clearly articulated policy that everyone's bought into. So as a, as a business owner, as a director of uh, uh, an advertising agency, you have made everyone aware that there is a risk element here and there's a risk profile and we are dealing with sensitive data and you've got to adhere to certain frameworks or certain standards if you want to work with us. Mm. So there's the there's the, the there's that awareness piece as well. So almost like getting independent uh, validation that you have in place almost the basics to make you secure and compliant. One hundred percent, because uh, ultimately no one can no one can guarantee that a cyber attack can be prevented. But in our experience, if you have practiced proper cyber hygiene, you can keep the cyber criminals out. Most of the time. It's, it's a bit like the old thing about uh, securing your house. Like if you do the basics, then the criminals are going to look for the house that doesn't, doesn't have, have exactly. any protection because it's easier to hack. 100%. Uh, a, a big thing that I'd also like to highlight, obviously I can't take names, but we walked into an advertising agency just a couple of weeks ago. We found that uh, they, they are in, in a shared workspace uh, with another large agency. And they both share a common network. Uh-huh. And as a guest into their uh, environment, I was able to log into their guest Wi-Fi. And through that guest Wi-Fi, I could even access the files of the directors of both companies. Unbelievable. And uh, and then uh, all I had to do was turn my laptop around and say, guys, is this your own, you know, is this your personal folder? Is this where you keep all your company minutes? And that's your that's the contracts that you've been bidding for. It's all in here. Yeah. And me logging in as a guest, as a contractor, I, w- I was able to... And see, that's the other thing yeah. about Wi-Fi. You don't actually always have to walk into the office. You can be sitting outside just... What do they call that? There's people that just go along looking for Wi-Fi networks that they can hack into. Oh, yeah, it's uh, scanners. Uh, scanners, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the, the other thing is to, to secure that Wi-Fi, it's not a cost-prohibitive exercise. It's very simple, a few tweaks, and, and both of them can share that internet traffic, internet uh, pipe. And secure each each uh, yeah, organization's individual networks, right? So, uh, and often we find that uh, it's not because um, they don't have the money or they don't want to do it. It's that they're not aware. There's no awareness around mm. this. Most of the people supporting them from an IT standpoint tend to be very reactive. If a computer is broken, the IT guy will come and fix it. Mm. If the printer is not working, the IT guy will come and fix it. The IT guy will keep fixing things, but they'll never ask the the main question which nobody asks, which is why does this keep happening? And why does it keep happening on the same day, on a Tuesday at, at 9 a.m. Yep. when this person walks into the office? So they, they tend not to, you know, they don't have the 30,000 feet view of the organization. Well, that's yeah. more moving from a technologist, a technician, hmm. into more a strategic role where you start looking at what is the role of our IT network? What is it that we're trying to secure? What is it that we're trying to achieve by doing this? I mean, that then comes down to all sorts of issues around what type of network do you need and what is the role of cloud versus having your own yep. um, uh, your own storage and, and the like. You know, there's a lot of um, talk 
around the industry about MarTech and AdTech. These are just all platforms that people are plugging, mm. you know, plugging and playing across the internet. Um, and yet there's a sense that they're secure. But the connection between your office and the uh, and these platforms that you're using isn't necessarily secure, is it? Absolutely not. And um, and we find there's heaps of vulnerabilities in terms of the physical location where, where these offices are. Often we find small, medium-sized organizations tend to share an office and, and then they share the Wi-Fi infrastructure as well. They also let contractors into the office and, yeah. and if the contractor, number one, you know, does the contractor have an agreement with the business that uh, they have to adhere to certain common standards when it comes to cyber hygiene? Probably not. You know, they, uh, and they have access to all parts of the network. So there's, there's a huge, yeah. huge it, element of risk. And even things like setting up VPNs, hmm? you know, just to yep. help secure your uh, your connections. But uh, I remember a, a CTO once said to me, the biggest weakness in any IT network is the idiot using it. <laughs> That's right. So now, someone, uh, uh, almost every, he said, every problem that he's ever had in a network is usually the person punching the keys at one end. Hundred percent, and and uh, you, you, uh, you know you're absolutely right there. Uh, but and and these days when we walk into you know, digital advertising agencies, mid-sized organizations, we find there's varying levels of maturity. Millennial, millennials tend to be much more IT savvy than the generation before them, uh, because uh, you could say they were born into you know the IT revolution when everything went into the cloud and. They know how they way uh, way around a smart uh, smartphone. Yeah, they know uh, how to use technology, and they uh, and and they are not uh, they are fairly uh, conscious when it comes to sharing their personal information and and where and how and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a layer which is outside um, uh, the awareness of the normal user, and that's the network layer. That's your Wi-Fi, your cloud platforms, and sharing of data uh, at, a, at a network layer. So that's where yeah. you're saying you go from a user knowledge to a sort of management knowledge. Correct. And then I'd imagine there's a layer above that, which is more your sort of strategic planning 100%. process. Because yeah. there's the manager who manages the infrastructure, but then there's also got to be a, a role, I imagine, and this is where a CTO, CIO comes in to actually think about, well, what's the future? Yes. requirements of the yeah. business. What? How are we going to evolve this? How do we scale? I mean, that's one of the big things 100%, for agencies. And, and the big evolution for a CIO, CTO has also been that they're no longer just looking at uh, lagging indicators. They're also focused now on leading indicators because now they are seen as enablers of business and drivers of business. Mm. Um, so what decisions do I make based on the data that I've currently got? You know, what areas of business can we explore based on where we are at now, and what share of wallet do we have of, of our existing client base? These are all questions that are not just marketing and sales oriented, but that's, this is where the CIO, along with the CMO, has a, has a big input. Mm. So going back to your previous question about that divergence of roles between a CMO and a CIO, now we find that there's a, there's a common platform there. The CMO has to become more tech savvy, and the CIO has to become more marketing and sales savvy. And, uh, and it's interesting you should say that because certainly, you know, a lot of people were saying CMOs are now investing more budget 
in uh, technology than ever before. And in fact, in some cases, have a bigger budget than the CIO because you know, they're, they're investing in all these platforms. The problem seems to be if they try and make decisions around platforms without actually engaging the IT department and procurement, because both of those have an important role in actually the integration of those platforms yep. into the overall system, don't they? I think uh, 100%. And I can also see, um, because I've sat on both sides of the fence, I can also see why the CMO is reluctant to engage the CTO or CIO, because traditionally they have been uh, they have been the roadblock to adoption of new technologies, because mm-hmm. they often come up with 10 reasons why you shouldn't do it. Yeah. It's very hard for them to come up with a solution as to how to do it and make it. But however, the future ready CIOs, and I think I'll, I'll draw a distinction here, two types of CIOs, the ones who are still in the old world of prohibitions and roadblocks and restrictions, mm-hmm. and the future ready CIO who's, who's more savvy, who understands that the CIO cannot uh, stay in his or her own silo anymore and needs to collaborate with the CMO and the and the uh, operations manager, operations yeah. director, to take the business forward, they tend to be more flexible. Mm. They tend to have a, 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 a business focus and, and tend to be more commercially savvy. And that's where we find uh, a happy marriage, as it were, where things well, get done and, yeah. It's because the main mandate is, is no longer just uh, risk mitigation, that they actually realise that the role for the, the CIO is to help the organisation and all of the stakeholders maximise the potential of the technology. I, I think there's also a problem because of the two areas in any business, uh, CIOs and um, CMOs also have their own languages. There's the language of marketing and there's the language of technology. You know, I think probably technology wins on the use of three-letter acronyms because (laughs) technology, uh, IT seems to have so many three-letter acronyms that they would beat most marketers hands down in a a game of who has more, don't you think? Absolutely, and absolutely. And and the CTO needs to understand that they need to start talking in a language that business, you know, uh, business gets them. Otherwise... And marketers. And marketers. (laughs) And marketers, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, they'll... They'll just uh, no longer be part of that conversation. You know, mm-hmm. there's no point in throwing three-letter acronyms at people if they don't. You know, and there's no and and uh, uh, but ultimately, I think I think uh, it's it, this is a great conversation to have because uh, I think in the main the tension between the CMO and the CTO is dissolving because they both understand h- how integral they are to each other's roles, mm. uh, and IT as well is now being seen as a as a as a real enabler, not just a cost center. And that's great news for the CTO. Mm. And and the tomorrow-ready CTOs, uh, the future-ready CIOs, um, have embraced that uh, 100% wholeheartedly. And they realize that to for me to stay relevant in the conversation, these are the deliver- things that I need to deliver back to the business. Because um, there's another role that um, uh, CTOs can play, especially for marketers, is that uh, there's a thing called the stack. You've probably heard of the marketing stack. Yep. And that is all of the different applications, platforms, solutions yes. that sit there. And in fact, in a couple of cases, we've had situations where 
and and I'll use I'll use some uh, platform yeah. names, but like they have Salesforce and Adobe, uh, you know, uh, marketing yeah. um, uh, um, marketing mm-hmm. experience, and you know they'll have like three or four different platforms that all have a lot of crossover, but it's because often marketers will um, buy or, or buy into uh, a SaaS solution for a particular functionality, and then they'll get another platform to do something else when in actual fact it was available to them. And probably the best example of that is we had a procurement team that had run a global tender for a DAM, a digital Mm -hmm. asset management system, when in actual fact they had Sitecore, which has a (laughs) DAM in the center Yeah, that's right. So they'd already gone out to see if they could buy a dam when the very platform that they were using had one. It's just that no one was using it. No one was using it. And uh, you're, you're spot on because I think a lot of times uh, technology adoption is driven by a perception that something that they've got in-house doesn't work. Yeah. When often the case is that they're only using 10% or 20% of the of the whole technology piece. Um, yeah. And, and there's actually a, a gap between the CMO and the CTO. And there's a whole space there. There's a big play around process analysis. Mm. So if it's marketing automation in a marketing process, sales process, um, and if, if, you are, if you talk to an IT person, they have a completely different view of what a business analyst or, or a process analyst is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And if you speak with a marketing person, they will have a different view. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, But from a business standpoint, a process needs to be mapped. And we need to really understand, is the process being followed or not? Because if we start doing process mining, which is a whole different area, Mm -hmm. um, you'll often find that most companies, you know, 80% of the processes are not being followed correctly because people have found a workaround Mm. that works for them. But when that person moves, someone else comes in and takes that role, that knowledge which is in the head... That walks. hasn't been, that walks out with them. Yeah. Because that knowledge has not been codified. That's not written there. And there's no way, if you if you take that event log from the application and run it, you realize, hang on, why is, for example, why are we not using the DAM from Sidecore? Mm. So, you know? so that, look, that's a really interesting uh, view. But uh, I've also been involved or we've come in on the back of someone doing process mapping where they've gone right through the organization and asked everyone questions. Right. So how do you do this and how do you, and and almost to the person, they've all regurgitated the instruction manual. Correct. But I think a much better way of doing it is actually look at anyone's workstation. And in fact, in this particular in one particular case, there was these post-it notes everywhere. And I said, what are the post-it notes for? And they said, oh, well, you know, it's too hard to do this. So I just write it right down the code <laughs> yes. on here. Yeah. And it's like everywhere just had all of the access to every single part of the platform all coded on bits of paper. And I think it's often better to watch what people do rather than ask them what they do. 100% because people tend to, uh, to put it kindly, embellish, you know, how they go about doing things because they know the answer someone wants to hear and they tell you that. Mm. And uh, a better way, like you said, is to watch what they do and Another way of doing it is to look at the application logs uh, yes. uh, that are there and you could run, there's tools out there in a new area that's come up, robotic process automation. 
and mm-hmm. and and uh, process so mining. So analyzes keystrokes and analyzes keystrokes, analyzes event logs, and give mm-hmm. you gives you a real view mm-hmm. of how an application has been used. Because even if you're watching them, they'll probably start doing it the way Correct. it should exactly. be because <laughs> they know someone's yeah, there watching. watching them. And, and this is now an, a very uh, interesting area uh, because it gives you real-time view of exactly what's happening within an environment. And uh, the other other thing it also does is if someone's not using a process, most because people are smart, they know the process is broken, so they find a workaround. Yeah. So if the process is broken, you've got to fix it. Because if the process is fixed, then you can apply automation to it, you can apply smarts to it, and it gets better, or it becomes faster. But fundamentally, if the process is broken, no amount of technology is going to fix it. My uh, father, who was a uh, technician, said the people you want to have working for you are smart and lazy because they'll yeah. always find a f- more efficient way of doing something because they don't want to do it the way it should be done because yeah. that takes too much effort. So I think he was just justifying his own behaviour. <laughs> but back to the back hmm. to the um, the idea about the end user often being the weakest point. It's interesting, isn't it? Because email's now been around for over twenty years, and how email has become so ubiquitous in business. Like we send billions of emails global, probably trillions of emails each day. And yet uh, there was one area that um, that you wrote about, which was phishing. Yes. Because I think people have forgotten that emails are a huge uh, risk as far as access into a network, aren't they? 100%. And, and it, uh, they totally rely on uh, users mistaking them for uh, genuine emails and clicking on a link uh, or downloading stuff that they're not, they're, they're not meant to. Uh, and this talks to the whole social engineering aspect of security, which doesn't receive a lot of attention. Um, uh, we have just, uh, you know, I've, I've, we've come across a case recently where, uh, you know, cyber hackers or malicious actors have gone in and looked at people's Facebook profiles, created uh, fake identities and doing something called catfishing, you know, mm-hmm. using a you know, fake identity. They have befriended them on social yeah. media, uh, got them to reveal, uh, you know, very personal and confidential information, use that to do very sophisticated phishing emails and hacks and run away with hundreds of thousands of dollars um, just because they were able to con that person into doing this. Um, and, and the way around this is, is education. There's no other way around it. Uh, and that's, should it be an HR function? Because HR will typically push it to IT. Should it be IT? IT will, you know, uh, send it to finance or someone else for that matter. But everyone in the organization has got to own it. And recently we we ran some uh, uh, sessions where we educated people on, you know, we trained people on you know, how to identify phishing emails, how to identify if an email is genuine or not, or sent by a scammer what behaviors to take to pros- uh, to protect your endpoint device, your own uh, uh, laptop or m- machine. And interestingly, the reason a lot of these uh, uh, hacks are also happening now is because of BYOD, bring your own device to work. Mm. So in this day and age, people don't just have the one work laptop. They, have, they might have a work laptop, they have got two, you know, uh, uh, machines that they own by themselves. Uh, they might have a couple of smartphones, one for work, one for their own personal use. So one individual might have five to seven devices. 
and each device has, has is probably only got the one password mm. uh, and then if the, if the home machine is infected because they've been uh, you know downloading uh, games and videos and what have you and if they plug that into the corporate network there's a risk there mm. uh, there's a, and if someone's cracked their personal password and if that's the same password that they use at work so now the entire corporation is at risk yes and people don't have uh, they they do this because there's no awareness and that just needs to be brought to the service they just need to be educated um it's, it, yeah because uh, i'm i'm uh, notorious i hate those passwords that my it manager insists that we have you know with all the letters symbols numbers upper and lower case and uh, and i noticed that uh, google now allow you know they'll create a password for you well that's great except that when i updated my laptop I had to start all over again because for some reason the old passwords that Google was memorizing for me. And mind you, that's a worry because that's sitting in their cloud somewhere. One hundred percent. And in fact, even uh, though it's the most unmemorable uh, password possible, um, it and most randomly generated one, someone could easily just hack that, and suddenly all of that goes out the window. True. And um, it's called two-factor authentication or multi-factor yeah. authentication, where you have your own password, but then you have a random key that's generated through the Google Authenticator. Mm. Yep. Uh, it may not necessarily be a Google Authenticator. You could work with uh, uh, a number RSA. Of there's a number of other, uh, and it's just an algorithm. Mm. Uh, and as long as that's not cracked, you know, uh, if someone has to really uh, crack your device, they would need to know your password. Yeah. Which, if you're changing every thirty days, and they have to know the algorithm for the uh, for the randomly generated number, so it becomes a bit harder. Now yeah. uh, organizations are also in introducing, you know, biometric security uh, because, as you know, there's uh, uh, fingerprint scanners on a lot of devices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you have triple factor authentication, that that makes it starts more secure. Getting that starts and getting as you said, nothing will stop no. someone who's determined to hack you. But if you've got all of this, then they'll look for the person that does. One hundred percent. So yeah. there, there is still a chance, but the chance becomes less because. Uh, the way these cyber criminals operate, people don't realize that they uh, they are sophisticated uh, uh, machines. You know, they, there's a whole bunch bunches of hackers, you know, sitting in in a corporate building, you know, wearing ties and suits to work. But their job is to hack into mm. people's networks and make money. So if, if someone's very hard to crack, they'll just move on to the next one, yeah. and they keep moving on because till they find the soft touch. They look for the soft touch because they don't have time to. Now, I've I've got a because uh, a lot of advertising agencies yep. use Mac, so iOS. Mm. Okay, and there's a sort of general story going around that you don't have to worry about malware and viruses and all those things because all of those are set up for Windows. So if you've got a Mac network, you don't have to worry about all this. That was the perception. Not true anymore. Okay. There's sophisticated attacks. There's a lot of attacks on the Mac networks as well, for the sheer fact because there's now more Macs than there were before. Yeah. So it's worthwhile. Hundred percent. Fish in a, a pond that's big enough to Absolutely. find a target. Yeah. Look, uh, it's been fascinating talking to you, Raj. Uh, Raj is the uh, CEO of AUPIT. Yeah. Thanks for making time and having a chat. Thank you, Dan. So uh, just uh, one last question, um, and I'm assuming that you're a Windows Microsoft man, but uh, outside of your laptop, which I saw before, 
Do you have any Mac, Macintosh or Apple uh, <laughs> software? <laughs>